Welcome, welcome. Romans says this in verse 18 of Romans 12. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. To live in peace with everyone. That's the heart of this talk that we're uh, giving during the course of the five weeks of the series. This is week two. And we began this series a couple weeks ago unpacking uh, really the setup for these four weeks. Uh, the setup that would help us understand there's no greater opportunity for peace and deeper peace in our lives than conflict. Conflict is an opportunity. And if we can wire our mindset like that uh, and ask the right questions, questions like how do we deal with conflict and how can we equip ourselves to instinctively make the right first choices the moment we sense conflict rising? Um, That's the challenge. The answer ultimately today that we're going to focus on is going higher. Go higher. Think higher perspective. Today, we're challenged by this first of four G's. Really, the skeleton of this talk, as we mentioned in week one, is from a book called Resolving Everyday Conflict by Ken Sandy. And we have this, this construct of four G's that we'll be unpacking, and this is the first, go higher. The big idea today, conflict always provides an opportunity to glorify God. Go higher. We have an opportunity to elevate God. How can I focus on God in this situation? If conflict is an opportunity, then when we see the opportunity of conflict present itself, we can invite our perspective to be impacted by God. Okay, I sense there's tension. I sense something is happening here that is like building tension. God Help me see this as you would see it, right? Try to solve it in his way versus instinctively our own way. Because we're each wired differently, right? And we will go at conflict differently. If we don't invite God into the conflict, chances are we're going to remain in that conflict for a very long time. So what does the, the higher perspective offer? Answers, guidance, direction, most of all, peace. What are some of the questions we can answer or or ask ourselves? Where is God in this? Like when we sense conflict, just boom, it's present, it's there. Where is God in this? What is God doing in this situation? What answers does he have for this conflict? Like, can I find something in Scripture that will guide my spirit right now the, the tension I'm feeling. How do I find that? By asking these questions, we can often find within the tension of conflict the seeds of growth and personal growth, like something God actually is refining in us can come out of conflict. And even though it feels like it's them, right? Even though we want to put all the blame somewhere else. First Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. So how can we do conflict for the glory of God? That is tricky. Glory is a Bible word, obviously. It means the essence of God, right? His glory. 
And when we say we're living for the glory of God, it means we're bringing attention to God. We're on display for God versus um, uh, our own greatness or our own skill. We're the storefront window, if you would, for God. We're the reflection of God. There's all kinds of references in Scripture about the radiant reflection you and I are supposed to be of God in the world we live in. We're what people get to see as a representation of God. So how is his reflection through you, right? How are you doing at making his glory known? How does your life reflect his glory? When you draw on God's grace to put off your self-centered instincts when it comes, or inclinations when it comes to an an act of conflict that you're facing, when you put off your own desires and you grab a hold of his and allow those to live out through you, you bring clear glory of God into the scenario. And it messes with people. They don't understand why you're not reacting the same as someone else would. And it's got transformational power. Um, Because we can sometimes just instinctively respond in a way that elevates conflict, right? So Jocelyn and Jenna have been uh, in driver's ed, learning how to drive. That's what you do. And uh, that's like, was really obvious. But anyway, so they're uh, in driver's ed. And so that's why I've, I had no gray hair just like a few weeks ago. And it just came through in that season of them driving. No, they've learned all these different quotes and they learn these things. And then it comes to a moment when we're in the nervous seat, I mean, passenger seat, and they're driving and they'll throw these quotes out when they're in a scenario that they've learned about. So the other day, we're going from like uh, 410 to 167 to River Road. You know, it's not a busy area at all to teach a kid how to drive. It's unnerving, and uh, especially in the afternoon. So we're going through that in the afternoon, and, and someone cuts Jocelyn off, just full on. Remember that? They just cut. You knew I was going to use you as an example. She's laughing down here. Uh, she, she gets cut off, and and immediately she starts quoting something that they learned in class. She's like, starts, in, in fact, there's another student in the car. There's, there's her sister and another student that were carpooling down, and, and they're all like, do not engage, do not engage, do not engage. I guess that's the quote they learn when, when it's a potential road rage moment, right? Because you're just like, she's like, do not engage, do not engage, do not engage. And then it was like a few seconds later, like 30 seconds later, she's just like, but that makes me so angry, right? I was laughing so hard because they all knew the quote. They learned it somehow, you know, in this class. And uh, I just thought that was really interesting because uh, God is not seeking, like glorifying God is not about a lack of anger. That's not the goal. Or it's a lack of purely human emotions, being experienced in whatever situations we experience them. It's about responding to those emotions in a way Jesus would. And so what they're learning in a, in a, in a driving way is do not engage, do not engage, do not engage because like road rage is a real thing. 
And, and so they, they're, they're realizing, man, if you engage, you could stir something up that's way worse than being cut off. You know, now you have to avoid gunfire and just little things like that. And so I look at, I look at that scenario, and I, I do. I feel old all of a sudden because you go back and, and think to driver's ed days for us. One, we, in my day, we learned it in school, like they taught driver's ed in school. Uh, another thing, they did not teach about road rage. It, it yet we were yet to be mean enough and mad enough to have to learn that in our world, you know. So we were very peaceful back in the 90s. Um, anyway, I guess that was 80s that I got me. Well, you got your driver's license late. Um, and then uh, we were, we definitely didn't have to learn about distracted driving in a way of cell phones. It was more like, you know, eating a bowl of soup with both hands and driving with your knee, which, okay, I still don't. Okay, maybe if you... Anyway, you know, distracted driving was different in our day. Let's just put it that way. It was more about whether, you know, you could get the 8-track in while you're driving. Of the Oak Ridge Boys. You know, that good music. None of this Guns N' Roses radical stuff. I'm just... Anyway, so uh, I remember one time I was going to church or leaving church. It was one of those, I know, because my Bible was on the passenger seat. And uh, I was driving down the freeway, and I had done something. I have no idea. I am a, an, I'm a, I'm an, a, you could call it aggressive driving, probably. I'm an aggressive driver, or maybe I prefer to, to say an offensive driver. I'm not a defensive. I don't play defense all the time on the road. I more play offense. I look for the openings and and access them, and, uh, and so, but to some, that's an offensive driver, not an offensive driver. you got to pronounce that right. But anyway, so I must have done something. I'm exiting this double exit from I-5, and a car pulls up next to me, and they thought a lot of my driving. They wanted to express to me that in driving, I'm number one. And so they were expressing that to me in a physical gesture, with a hand and one finger. And so I look over, and, and they're mad and telling me I'm number one. And so I was angry, too, in that moment. And there was accountability on the passenger seat because they were out this window. And I look down at the Bible, and I look at their finger, and I look at the Bible. And all that I could do to manage my anger was I grabbed the Bible, and I just held it up at them. <laughs> I don't know what that meant. There's been many awkward moments like that while driving. One time I had a bunch of youth leaders in the van, and I was in Wenatchee, and we were crossing this bridge on the river, and this car was, was get, getting road rage against us in a van. I'm like, I don't think I did anything in this scenario to deserve what was happening, but he pulled up alongside of me on this bridge, and so you're envisioning driving off, you know, and and he rolls down the window physically. It was like an old pickup, you know. And he reaches across to his daughter sitting in the passenger seat. Rolls down the window. And I could read his lips and they were not good words. He's shouting right across his daughter's face at this church van with church language. on, Like it said, Eastridge Christian Assembly on the van probably, you know. And, and so it's like he knows it's a church van and he's just raging 
And you're just like, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And I couldn't think of anything other to do than to say, like comment on his parenting. You know, so I just said, I, I just said out loud as I'm looking at him, well, man, you're a model father, right? As like you're a model. But if you read, I had the window up in my car. I didn't roll my window down. And if you read my lips when I say model father, he didn't take that well. He thought I said something different. And when we, he pulled in front of us as we were exiting and, and zipped ahead. And I'm like, whoo, I thought we were going to get shot. Because somebody in the van was like, I don't think he thought you said what you said. And he's more angry now. You just elevated this moment. I'm like, no, I, oh, no. You know, I start putting it together. So we think we've lost the guy on our way to the con- conference that we're going to. But in fact, he had pulled into a spot jumped out of his car, and as we're driving down the road, he jumped out at us. It was terrifying. But luckily, like, no one was hurt, and he didn't have a gun. So I was just like, there are moments where your instincts sometimes mess with you. You try to do the wrong thing, but even in that moment you do, or you try to do the right thing, but even in that moment you do the wrong thing. Don't ever tell anybody through a closed window that they're a model father. It doesn't work out well. Glorifying God isn't about others seeing how great you are. It's about helping them see how great Jesus is. And if we just rage back, we're not going to help people experience the glory of God. Uh, It's crucial to realize that you either glorify God or you glorify someone or something else. And we really want, we're put on this earth as followers of Jesus to illuminate the glory of God. John 5.30 says, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent to me, not my own will. Your best way to keep living for God is to continue to ask yourself questions that bring your focus back to the will of God. Am I living for you? You know, if I live for you, God, what should I do in this situation? And not living according to your own will, because we're all wired in a way that will respond differently in conflict. You'll live a life of ever-increasing conflict if you miss the opportunities around you to bring glory to God. And we don't want you to live in conflict. So two ways to glorify God. Simple today. I have lots of time to preach. If you look at the clocks, it's only 640. We'll be here till 11. So um, uh, those clocks are doing us no good today. This is going to be a long one. Joking. Thought one, trust God. Trust God. The question is this. Do you trust God enough to follow him wherever he leads you, even if the path is difficult or it seems impossible? Because trying to make peace in conflict often seems difficult or impossible. You're like, there's no way this would work out if I chose to live in a way that glorifies God here. So I'm not even going to try. No, what if you trust God and give it a go? I think following God should be 
moment after moment where we are experiencing life to the fullest. Like, we're stepping into these places of faith, and when we're dependent on something beyond our own nature, great things occur as the Holy Spirit works through our life. When was the last time you sensed God urging you to initiate something that would glorify God? Just think about those moments in your life where you've been like, oh, I'm supposed to, I think I'm supposed to pray for this person. Or maybe, you know, I'm supposed to, maybe it was last weekend. Maybe you talked to your mom for the first time in years. Maybe you gave her a call or maybe you wrote her a card. Maybe you can't even tell when you're glorifying God because it's become habit now and you just reflect this genuine love of God to people around you. And the world is looking at you. The world is looking. If you proclaim to be a follower of Jesus, the world's looking for how you respond to conflict. And they'll take note. When we're trying too hard in an awareness that people are watching, we come off disingenuous. Like it's just like, oh, they're, they are faking it, right? It's like it just doesn't look real if we're giving it too much effort. I know I'm a follower of Jesus, so in this scenario, I am not going to punch you back into your face. I'm going to turn the other cheek, right? It's like, whoa, okay, that's not real because you're mad, bro. You know, it's like uh, swing. No, don't do that. Uh, it can be as simple as rolling the neighbor's recycling bin back up to their house when they're out of town as an opportunity to start appeasing the conflict you feel with your neighbor. <laughs> it can be as easy as, like I said, writing a card to a relative or a mom or a dad you haven't talked to for a long, long time. Maybe it's apologizing to the person who's been carrying an offense against you. Even though you're like, this is not my fault, this is not my fault, but two per- your 2% is your fault, right? Even if it's 98% theirs. Own your two. We'll talk more about that next week. But just, you know, you're 100% responsible for your 2%. What if you could own it and just start the journey of apologizing? What if it's that coworker that you know is mad at you and you decide, I'm going to initiate peace, you could bring glory to God. And it's just, it's trust. Okay, God, you say I can be a peacemaker. I'm going to obey you. I'm going to obey you. And obedience is that initial demonstration of trust in God. Obeying God's commands without compromise honors him by showing that his ways are absolutely higher than your own ways. That his ways are good, wise, and dependable. Our obedience also demonstrates that he's worthy of our deepest love and devotion. I mean, it says in John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, obey my commandments. Wow, okay. So, to be a peacemaker is a pretty honorable road. It's crazy to consider, but your obedience... To live in peace with everyone not only demonstrates that you trust and obey God, but it brings glory to God. To those who are watching, you live out your faith. And if you've yet to follow Jesus, you're not expected to bring glory to God. It's interesting. Like, you can't 
be expected. Like nobody is looking to you as, well, they showed up at church. If you've yet to make a decision to say, okay, Jesus, you're the son of God, and I am going to choose to follow you and live according to your word. The moment you do that, people begin to expect of you to bring glory of God. And I hope that you make that decision because it's life transforming and it helps you experience more of life. But we got to be clear. We can't expect that of somebody that's just beginning their journey of faith to live this pure visibility of the glory of God. We've got to be aware that it's a process, right? If you can trust God through obedience, you can also trust God through imitation. Another way we trust God is we imitate God. It says in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. When in the heat of conflict... It's easy to know your natural responses. We showed this image a couple weeks ago when we started the series. This is called The Slippery Slope. And again, uh, the author of our, our uh, peacemaking book came up with this chart through all of his counseling and, and, and research of how people deal with conflict and become peacemakers. A lot of our natural response is to escape When conflict comes, we're like, I'm just going to go silent. You know, I'm going to exit and avoid. I'm going going to the left, and I'm going to fly away, and I'm going to deny there's even a conflict. Somebody says, how you doing? I'm fine. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. You know, it's like, right, right? That's, That's called peace faking. And then on the other side, our natural inclination is attack, like aggression. It is assault. It's blame. And that can be verbal. That can be physical, unfortunately. And you look at just how those who fake it long enough reach a boiling point and they really quickly swing to there, right? And in the heat of a moment, we can see what's natural. And that's when we have the opportunity to begin the four G's that'll help us overcome this slippery slope. The initial one, when we see ourselves go into our natural response mode, we can say, okay, go higher. Go higher. Trust God. What if we overcome our natural instincts and elevate what Jesus would do in the scenario? When we have correct perspective, and the more exposure we have to Scripture, if we're reading the Bible daily, if we're praying regularly, the more grasp we're going to have on this. The more we're going to understand, oh, I saw that happen in Jesus' world, and this is what he did. Or I saw how gracious God was, this is what he did. Glorifying God brings him praise and honor, and the only way he gets the glory is if we're actually practicing and trusting and imitating how he would handle a very natural scenario where he should be mad, where he should get angry. He's the son of God, and he was beaten and whipped and bruised on his way to the cross. At any blow, he could have just gotten really mad. And he could have pulled some Avenger move that like wiped everybody out. You know, just like, 
and everybody's toast, and they rise up. I haven't seen the latest movie. No spoiler alerts. I know everybody dies, but anyway. So, uh, you know, just the reality of, like, we see these moments of, of intense authority and power that God has. And we know he even humbled himself in response to those who are wronging him. He turned the other cheek. He paid our penalty repeatedly. There's some pretty interesting aspects to this. So not only do we need to trust God and bring glory to him through our trust, but there's also an opportunity which we see Jesus practicing all the time and God practicing throughout all of Scripture, and that is thought to overlook the offense. Now, this sounds a lot like avoidance, escape, right? Peace faking. <laughs> it does. I'm like, man, okay, God, you teach this all over Scripture, but this does sound a lot like escaping. This sounds a lot like an excuse. Oh, I'll just overlook it when really we should deal with it. But it's biblical. And, and there's scenarios when we need to not overlook it that I'll share in a second and we'll unpack in a future week. But we need to ask ourselves, is this worth the fight? Like, is it really worth stirring up the natural response in the others involved? Don't engage, don't engage, don't engage, right? Is it really worth telling that person that they're a model father and just making them rage that much more? I mean, we have to think, like, if I can fight my natural instinct for a moment and ask, go higher, right, and ask, God, what would you do? Then I'll be able to know scriptures that I've been reading that will pop into my head, like Proverbs 19.11 that says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. What are the... So I'm all of a sudden respectful if I'm overlooking wrongs? I thought I would be tough if I didn't overlook it and just deal with it. We have some misconceptions, right? Sensible, respectful people overlook wrongs. Proverbs 17, 14. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate, so stop before a dispute breaks out. Wow. That's like pretty simple, right? It seems easy. Ephesians 4.2, always be humble and gentle, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So I need my love to increase in order for me to keep giving allowance and keep extending allowance and keep extending allowance. The ability to overlook a fault is rare, and it really is a gift from God. It's the Holy Spirit's power that's at work within you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, Ephesians tells us, is active in us. And so that's the strength we need to access at times in order to overcome our natural intuitive response and say, what is the right response in this scenario? Psalm 103, 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. Verse 9 continues, He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. 
that's good. He does not punish us for our, all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. So while you have every right to get mad back at that person that cut you off, and while your anger continues for minutes and you're coming down off that adrenaline, don't engage, don't engage, don't engage. Right? Overlooking is an active choice. And we're choosing to go higher by doing that. Overlooking isn't peace faking or avoiding confrontation or staying silent just to escape or avoid. It's really choosing to forgive someone. It's overlooking means to choose to fully forgive a person without any further discussion or action. Not to put it in our back pocket, oh, I remember this. You know, I'll overlook this time, but I'm bringing it up later. Store, right? No. It's gone. Overlooking. If you're truly overlooking something, it's a strong choice, a practical choice. Overlooking is in sharp contrast to going after correcting everyone and being like the behavior police around us. I look at a scenario that happened that was interesting to me. Um, our neighbors that I have an opportunity to share about every once in a while, they're, they're the, the most, of, of our neighbors that are the most different neighbors. And unfortunately, I think they're moving. And so I'm going to have to find a new source of illustrations. But um, they're in preparation for moving. They're painting their fence. Uh, and it was a different color than our fence. And they're painting it uh, a dark brown color. And uh, we have a light gray color. And, and so they're out painting it. And we could tell when the fence was going up, this person is doing this job on the side. This is not their profession. I'll just put it that way. And, uh, and so as this person does the job on their side, I begin to look and see this is going to do probably some irreversible damage on our side of the fence as well, um, of which we'll attempt to correct in the future. It's a fence. It's a piece of wood. It's paint. It's a little bit of time to fix. And then I noticed they were using a sprayer, and it was overspraying onto, like, everything on our side of the fence. And then I still decided, this is, this is, this is overlookable, right? And so I just didn't make a deal of it. I really didn't. And some would see that as avoidance, but I just saw it as, really, is this worth the fight? You know, I do ask that all the time. Is this worth the fight? And it wasn't, honestly. I just said, I can scrub the brown paint slosh off of our thermometer. I can scrub the brown paint off the pool pump. I can scrub, okay, I can't scrub the brown paint off the pool. I have no idea how it got that far. But anyway, you know, but I can repaint over the spots that got brown on our fence. And then I had company over. And company that was over, I showed them, you know, we were talking about things that happen with neighbors and stuff. And I was like, yeah, check this one out. And I, I walked this company out to the fence to show them. And they're like, I heard about this. I'm like, what? And they were like, well, you know, our daughter was over the other day and while this, was while this painting was happening. And she had mentioned she was so surprised that you just didn't go crazy about it. And I was like, you never realize how people are watching and how that glorifies God. How that just proves to somebody 
love or antagonisticness, if that's a word. Right? You just realize, like that, in that moment, my reaction, I, had no, I was not reacting, reacting to be noticed, but the reaction was noticed and elevated in someone's eyes godliness. And you just go, wow, Lord. And it was subtle. They didn't say that. They didn't go to their parent and say, I saw a godly action today. How was it just like Jesus, you know? And I in no way, shape, or form am claiming that. But they saw peacemaking in action. They saw a moment of overlooking an offense. And it caught their attention. And overlooking is a peacemaker's first option in response to conflict. It should become instinctive the more we do it. If it's our option, if it's our go-to, I think there's going to be a lot more peace, a lot more living in peace going on. Yet overlooking uh, clearly isn't the right choice in four scenarios, which we'll unpack deeper in a future week. It's not the right choice when the, when it, the, the conflict is damaging your relationship with a person. It's not the right choice when it's hurting, uh, when the conflict is involving hurting other people. Oh, you know, pastor told me not to bring it up, so keep hurting them. You're good. <laughs> no, right? That's not when you overlook an offense. You don't overlook when it's hurting the offender, and you don't overlook when it is significantly dishonoring God. Four scenarios. Overlooking means treating others the way you want to be treated, giving the same grace-filled tolerance you were receiving from God. So there's a balance, right? And we need to discern it. Bob Goff says, I try to see difficult people in front of me for who they could become someday. And I keep reminding myself about this possibility for 30 seconds at a time. I mean, when we're... When we're in the heat of the moment, 30 seconds is a pretty good, like, I'm going to give it 30 seconds, Lord. Help me see them in the best light I can. Help me assume the best of this person for the next 30 seconds. Okay, and now I'm going to add 30 seconds to it. And now I'm going to add another 30 seconds. That's what I pray we learn to do. And our action thought today is simple. How can you glorify God in your conflict? How can you glorify God in your conflict. Where are you at in this? How can you go higher in the current conflicts you're experiencing? Maybe it's at work or in a relationship, in your family, with a neighbor. How can I focus on God in my situation? As the worship team comes out, I asked them to... uh, sing a song today. And the song that I want us to consider our response to conflict during is called New Wine by Hillsong. You can follow the Open Life Spotify playlist and you'll see the song on there, on Spotify. But the song talks about the crushing and the pressing involved in making wine. And often... In our life, conflict is that 
refining process, that crushing and pressing. And it doesn't feel good. Nobody's like, yes, bring on conflict this week. Woo! Right? That's like one of those commercials where they walk into a glass door and they're like, yeah. I love those commercials. But that's not it. God is working something in us. He's crushing. He's, he's making something new in us. Conflict is an opportunity. And it's an opportunity to live a life in peace with everyone. And so as they sing this song, I want you to really consider, man, how can I glorify God in my conflict? Maybe for some of you, that's choosing to follow Jesus today. First, I need to make the first step so that I can begin to learn the way God would respond in conflict. And then I need to grow this relationship with Jesus so the world around me can see God's glory. Lord, thank you for the opportunity you give us to come and, and worship here at Bonnie Lake High School today. And I pray that we could glorify you, that we could glorify you with our responses to conflict, that we wouldn't react, we wouldn't be aggressive and quick, but we could start to trust you more and we could start to live with a response of overlooking initially and begin to really understand how can I bring glory to God in my conflict? When we go higher in this arena of our life, I pray that you would get so much glory and that people would start to notice there is truly something different in our lives. God, if someone's here today and they've yet to respond to you, that they've yet to choose to follow Jesus, I pray that they would simply invite you into their life and say, thank you for demonstrating what it is to unconditionally love others. I invite you into my life right now. I want to follow you all the days of my life, grow in relationship with you so that I can deal with the things in my life according to this love I've heard of. God, I thank you for what you're doing in and through us. Send us out strong today. Let us consider how you will do this in us. In Jesus' name.